Is ICE part of this operation? Um, if they are, then we're going to have a real big problem, especially with me. This is going to be a major problem. And what is the specific role of Customs and Border Protection? So this is, again, a state cooperative. It's only Cal OES, LA-28, and the City of Los Angeles proposed at this moment, and other regional public safety entities would join at this moment. Federal agencies like ICE are not involved at this time. Um, I'm looking at a, a chart of the COPSA command, and it has here the venue cities, local police, FBI, uh, U.S. Secret Service, FEMA, U.S. Military, National Guard, Coast Guard, uh, FAA, Department of Homeland Security, uh, private security, intel uh, agencies, venue cities, fire and ambulance, and they also have border and customs. I'm just referring to this chart that's right here. I've never seen that chart. It's never been part of any of the conversations we've had. I don't know who generated the chart. This program is hosted by Nolympics LA, a coalition of human rights organizations fighting against the 2028 Los Angeles Olympic bid and the evils of the Olympic Games. You can find us on social media at Nolympics LA and check out our website at nolympicsla.com to learn more. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about some recent Olympic news, the March 17th Los Angeles City Council vote on COPSEC. If you don't know what COPSEC is, which most people don't, it stands for California Olympic and Paralympic Public Safety Command. It's the Incident Command System, or ICS, assigned to LA-28 under the presumption that LA-28 will be designated a national special security event. Basically, the body in charge of coordinating LAPD, ICE, the FBI, NSA, and all the other security apparatuses. We're going to share a more detailed overview of all this and then drop you right into a city council meeting where no Olympics organizers tried to convince our elected officials that COPSEC is not good for Los Angeles. So sit back, relax, and get ready to start being angry about local politics. In the last week, there was, for the first time in the history of this Olympic bid, the LA-28 Olympic bid, genuine debate amongst elected officials about it, and it was in the realm of policing. So that is a new thing. There's also a little bit of information around Tokyo that might be novel to people in this room that I definitely still want to hit. Um, and so I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to go through this presentation a little informally just because of um, just the sheer amount of No Olympics knowledge in this room. It's almost too much. It's genuinely intimidating for me to say these words all in a row um, with the likes of Jules Boykoff in the room. Uh, so yeah, um, but yeah, so we are uh, No Olympics LA. We are an organization that started in 2017 out of DSA, Housing and Homelessness Committee, quickly became a coalition of more than 25 groups in the area, including LA CAN, including the LA Tenants Union, including the LMLA, SAGE. I personally organized with Ground Game LA. And then also we've grown to be a transnational organization 
um, with groups from Paris, Tokyo, Pyeongchang, Rio, London, and Vancouver. Um, we fundamentally and categorically oppose the prospect of an LA Olympics. We believe a city that is hospitable to the Olympics is inhospitable to the residents of host cities. And we also refuse to measure success in terms of profit. Uh, a big piece of this is policing. Um, there is a tendency for mainstream media and Olympic boosters to focus on the question of the Olympic budget, and they define risk primarily in terms of will the Olympics go over budget, how much public money will be spent on it. We um, frankly don't care. This is, or that's not quite right. We do care to a degree, and we anticipate that the LA 28 games could go over budget by $3 billion in a sort of normal scenario based on the research of applying the research of Ben Flyberg and Oxford economists to the games. Um, there is an increased familiarity, I think, in LA around what that would mean for the city's budget vis-a-vis -vis the size of LAPD budget and how much that's already taking up. Um, and if something like COVID were to hit, that number looks more like $10 billion. Uh, but again, that's not our primary concern, and a big piece of that is policing, because the budgets for the Olympic Games don't include security. Uh, the $6.9 billion budget proposed for LA 28 doesn't include the security budget. That starts at $2 billion. It's theoretically federally funded. Um, a big fight that we're having right now as an org is to get a look at the actual contracts for the Games. Um, we, have, we are not able to do that. We've CPRA'd the controller's office, we've reached out to friendly council members, had them try to get this information. Like getting the draft contract for the games is nigh impossible, um, which is in and of itself ludicrous. Um, and I think speaks to why the games are terrible. Um, and we, we sort of separate um, into buckets our issues around the games. These are all obviously intersectional and interconnected, but we view the impact of the Olympics through the lens of gentrification and displacement, through the lens of police militarization and increased criminalization of at-risk populations, the diversion of resources and hijacked urban agendas, the erosion of democratic institutions and corruption, and the degradation of the environment. So for, the, for us, this is what matters. Um, all right, and let's, I'm gonna skip this. I. I, if people don't know the name Casey Wasserman, please ping me or Johnny Coleman or Anne at any point, and we will tell you about Casey Wasserman. Uh, all right, let's get into it, um, because we are looking at a massive militarization process as a result of the games. Um, and a big piece of that is feds give new tech to local police authorities, and that's a legacy that lasts well beyond the games. And we know that here in LA, um, where in 1984, for the 84 Olympics, LAPD gets the military hardware that includes the tanks that were used in crackdowns like Operation Hammer over the next decade. Um, the sweeps uh, targeting alleged gang members started before the games continued, I mean, to many degrees continue to this day in the form of the sorts of gang databases that we are fighting to dismantle. Um, and I think what we anticipate for LA 28 is rather than tanks, 
What's coming is an array of high-tech tools, including widespread facial recognition technology, including data capture in ways that have heretofore been impossible for the city to do. They will put vulnerable and over-policed communities at risk and make them unable to freely move through the city. And uh, a big reason that our analysis is that is from our experience in Tokyo. Um, this robot is an Alsoc Reborg X, the robot on the right, and it is the most visible piece of what Tokyo was branding the first AI-secured Olympics. It's designed to scan crowds and identify people who are too jittery, whose faces are too red, as these are supposedly signs that someone is about to commit a terrorist act. Um, it can also scan faces and cross-reference them with law enforcement databases. The idea of these was they were already being put in place back in 2019 in Haneda Airport as a test. And then the idea was to disperse them widely through the city um, as the Olympics began to take a look at fo foreign people coming into Japan and be able to monitor them. Um, these don't work at their stated purpose. Um, all they did at Haneda was identify people who were too drunk to get on a plane functionally because they were looking for red tinted skin, which is just like, uh, I think it highlights and cuts to the core of the degree to which like these data driven policing technologies are both incredibly invasive and incredibly poor at their stated goals that we obviously know that their stated goals publicly, not the actual goals of these technologies. Um, ALSOC itself, okay. So ALSOC is Japan's largest private security company. It was founded by the Deputy General Secretary of the Organizing Committee for the 1964 Tokyo Olympic Games, one year after the conclusion of those games. And according to the manager of ALSOC's promotion department, Japan's entire security industry was born as a legacy of the 1964 games. There are two primary security companies in Japan, ALSOC and SACOM. SACOM was created to govern and police the 1964 games and ALSOC emerged, you know, one year later. And they are these twin pillars of privatized security in Japan. Um, and so, um, and uh, something, and so this just speaks to both like the degree to which the police state expands when the Olympics come and it never contracts. ALSOC and SACOM continue to be the largest security forces in Japan. They are the heads of the joint task force for the Olympic security for the 2020 games. Um, and they are functionally like Pinkertons or ADT, and in fact, the parent company of SACOM was owned West Tech, which then was acquired by ADT. For those who are familiar with LA's history of privatized security, West Tech used to be one of the biggest players in the game in the 80s and 90s. Um, and the little girl on the left, when to just to connect all this, ALSOC is a big sponsor of the Olympics. When we were in Japan, they had a booth up where little kids could dress up in ALSOC branded riot gear and take a picture with a cardboard cutout of one of the judo champions from Japan. And then they would get free merch. They get to spin a wheel for free merch. Um, just to show just like the tendrils and how this comes together. We also had it flagged for us in the wake of our trip to Japan that the government's plan 
for data capture for the Olympic Games was to cap was to capture and permanently record all cellular data transmitted in the country for the duration of the games, the 90 day period before the games and potentially indefinitely after. And this is something that we found out from an engineer working for one of the big five tech companies that we're used to the idea of metadata being captured and filtered in that way. What Japan was attempting and preparing to do was capture all data, which means image data, video data, call audio data. Like they were trying to capture all of that and essentially take over large portions of the private data centers that exist within the country for that purpose for the Olympic Games. Um, and members of LA28 are already touting these technologies here as ways to make LA Olympics run more efficiently. Of course, we ask the question efficiently for whom? The answer is Taurus and wealthy and that efficiency obviously comes at the cost of freedom for the rest of us. Uh, all right, and then, so let's let's hit like the basic numbers. LAPD is talking about a 30% expansion of policing. We got that from a Studio City Neighborhood Council meeting where they were like, we want, we, we anticipate needing 30% more additional full-time sworn officers. Uh, the Sheriff's Department also has publicly stated their plans to grow ahead of the Olympics. The Olympics will be designated what is called a national secure, national special security event in NSSE, which means the federal government is responsible for coordinating security. And we'll get into more of that in one sec. And this is not a far off risk because this started last week. COPSEC, is the California Olympic and Paralympic Public Safety Command. And it was approved at city council and it will bring together local and state law enforcement coordinating security for the games. And this starts now. And what is COPSEC, this new thing? Um, we didn't know about this until like a month ago when this hit our desks. And what it is is the state basically is setting up a formation of security power that, um, the centerpiece of this chart, and we pulled this chart straight from the LA Olympic bid book. So this is their this is their image. We didn't make this image. The LA 20, it was 24 at the time, but they made this image to give a sense of what security would look like at the games. And you can see that the idea is that COPSEC, this, this California Joint Security Command, will be able to be the organization that works with all of these federal forces that come into the picture when the NSSE designation begins a year or two prior to the games. And this also runs through 2029. And you can see that borders and border and customs is in there, homeland security, the military, it, like they just like drew this out for us and we're like this is it this is what's happening um and i think it's important to talk about because you can see at the center there's sort of concentric circles who is copsex commander and the way it got formed uh it's actually was pulled into effect through state law and what la did was join it via memorandum of understanding and they joined it to have one of the three quote-unquote seats at the table the other two seats at the table are uh, California's Deputy Director of Homeland Security, but then the other one is LA-28's Doug Arnott. And I'd actually be really interested to know 
what Jules and Max and some of the people who've been following the Olympics think of Doug Arnott, if that's a name that rings a bell for them. But our understanding is he ran operations in Rio where 2,500 favela residents were killed by the police in the run-up to the game. In the same time period, police helped the city evict more than 77,000 people, violently repress protests and arrest activists pre uh, preemptively in the run-up to the 2014 World Cup. Doug also ran ops in London and Beijing, where two of the largest security apparatus in the history of the world were installed and remain to this day. And then the third member of COPSEC at the head is LAPD's chief, uh, who Michael Moore, who we are all familiar with. And that's, um, yeah, that is what it is. Um, all right. Uh, Olympics are particularly harsh on unhoused residents. I bring that up because uh, in Atlanta and Salt Lake City, unhoused residents were arrested and offered to have their records cleared if they took bus tickets to other cities and promised to never come back. Who ran operation at those Olympic Games? Once again, Doug Arnott, who is the co-commander of COPSEC. So like that sort of plan to sanitize or create the so-called quote-unquote clean city to push people and tents out of sight on behalf of tourists and away from stadium areas, that is the work of the person who we are putting in charge of COPSEC and is someone who the public has no impact over. Like Michael Moore, in theory, we could elect a new mayor and the chief serves at the pleasure of the mayor or whatever. I mean, it's hardly a check, but when it comes to LA-28, that is a private um, concern and that is who is in charge. It's also worth highlighting that when we talk about 8502 of the LA Municipal Code banning sleeping in cars, that was passed in 19, or the predecessor to that passed in 1982 in the run-up to the games. Uh, let's get back to the data stuff. All right, NSSE's SEER 1 security designation. Like the Olympics, Super Bowls fall under this, and so we were using them as a case study. Um, the SEER 1 designation in Minneapolis was again used to displace unhoused people because they were living inside of a security perimeter around the stadium. I think that was a, like, it was around a quarter mile radius, like outside of the stadium and around it, uh, which they subjected everyone entering that area in the run up to the games to airport style surveillance where crossing metal detectors or x-ray machines, or um, I don't, I don't remember the word for what the other type is that sweeps around you. Um, you have changes in restriction to transit, the intensified policing of public spaces. That's the Minneapolis Super Bowl. The same thing happened in San Francisco in 2016, which impacts our understanding of the California uh, Department of, of Homeland Security, which is the other people at the seat of at the COPSEC seat of the table. Um, and as we've learned from Stop LAPD spying, these examples are both not exhaustive to the threats posed to local communities, but that these surveillance tactics are just going to happen and they're going to put the most vulnerable populations, immigrants, unhoused and poor people at risk of harm. And we have the Super Bowl next year. So we're gonna get hit with our first NSSE in 2022. We have the World Cup where we are the media hub in 2026. There are some other SEER 2 potential designated events like MLB All-Star Game. These are just athletic events that are gonna hit LA over the next seven years that are going to create these surveillance zones and opportunities for the federal forces to collect data on us all. Um, all right, so summing it up, uh, we need to work together to make sure that LA is inhospitable to the Olympic Games because a city that is hospitable to the Olympic Games and allows 
this sort of policing to happen is inhospitable for the working people of that city. There is no good Olympics for over-policed communities. And this has already begun. Like, I'm going to be honest, we are late to the game when it comes to trying to stop this stuff. Uh, COPSEC, despite the fact that for the first time we got real debate, and I think we actually maybe got through to some of our elected officials about why we are not about guardrails but are about no Olympics, despite that, still passed 13-2. We still joined it. LAPD is still at the head of this table. And... You know, it's not enough to just have a couple dissenting voices in the long run. Um, that's not going to protect us from this inevitability. There's no Olympics that does not have both more police and more federal incursion. There's no Olympics that does not rely on invasive security tech. There just doesn't exist. So, you know, uh, LA, it shouldn't host the Olympic Games. And I'm interested in getting into more with everybody here around the types of sort of data processing that will that we anticipate are going to happen um, around the games, how we can learn from Tokyo as a sort of vision of what was going to happen there and how it can happen here. Um, and also, again, like we've got people on this webinar who have some experience with these past games and the degree to which they can speak to that and some of the players involved uh, would be really exciting. So yeah, that is a basic overview of where we're at. I can also answer any and all questions on COPSEC. Again, I learned about it a month ago, but I've made myself as expert as possible in that period of time. We also don't know if it's meant to be pronounced COPSEC. We just say it that way and nobody else had said it out loud before. So we're choosing that that's how it's said. Hi there, everybody. My name is Jules. I'm joining you from Portland. Um, that was really interesting, Spike. Thanks, and thanks, everybody, for hosting. Um, I had a question. Uh, the the Doug R. R. Not thing, I think, is really interesting. And I was like, Doug R. Not, who is that guy? And I remembered um, he was involved with London. And one of the things about London was they um, privatized a lot of security. So I guess I have a question for all you L.A. folks is... Um, how much has it been in the discussion there about the privatization of security? Because it definitely has like myriad uh, downsides, including um, transparency. I mean, you know, Spike, you're talking about if this person's in charge as like a private entity, it makes it much more difficult to secure documents like through the, what do you call it? The California Information Act, whatever it's called. Um, so I guess I'm interested in in Doug Arnott, uh, whether he whether he's talking whether all those folks are talking about private stuff. But um, thanks again, everybody. Yeah, I think I think a piece of that is as we look, you know, there, there are so many things that we're trying to do when it comes to shrinking the footprint of police surveillance in Los Angeles right now. And the fear is that privatization opens up new avenues for surveillance. Like if you, and it's something that's actually happened in Portland where there are more restrictions on facial recognition technology that expand just beyond law enforcement, sworn law enforcement. That's the sort of thing we will need to think about as we think about how to constrict um, these sorts of abuses when it comes to a games where you're talking about private security and you're talking about policing working together. Um, and how you prevent loopholes around it is it's just so much harder. Um, and that's a lot of the work that we're gonna, that we are now because of the Olympics forced to reckon with as a city. Um, 
And it's something where we are behind every other city, every other major city on the West Coast, I think. And I think a big piece of that is our leadership is beholden to the Olympics that they're bringing to us. And they are scared to make the city inhospitable to the games to a large degree. But that's me editorializing a little bit at the end there. Just one other thing I can throw it in the chat. I, when I heard you say the name, I'm like, I know that's familiar. And I went through some of my my papers here on my computer. And he actually gave testimony to the U.S. Congress in 20, 2008. So I can throw the link. I, I haven't looked over it for many years, but there might be some things in there to take a look at. And the last thing I'll say real quick is just that at the 2012 Olympics in London, you know, they privatized, like I said, and they hired all these people from G4S, like one of the most notorious private security firms. And G4S totally failed, epic fail, flopped on their back, didn't get the people trained. And they literally brought the military in. Um, many people straight from Afghanistan, um, British troops off the off the battlefield and, and into the Olympic zone. So there's just a lot of um, moving parts that that come into play when you try to bring in private security, especially when they, they do epic fails like that. So I'll throw that in the chat if anybody's interested. Like I say, I haven't even looked over it for years. So. Yeah, and it's a double bind we're realizing um, when it comes to private security versus LAPD versus national security, federal forces coming in. Um, you know, they're going to keep throwing Atlanta at us and being like, well, do you want terrorism? Do you want Munich 2.0? And like, of course, the answer to that is no. Of course, nobody wants that. But if that is the inevitable outcome of the games is that either LAPD grows by 30% or we hand over our policing to private security that is unaccountable to anyone, or we hand it over to ICE and Border Patrol and the military. And realistically, what we're talking about is an all of the above answer to that. Like, that is the bind that we are being put in by hosting the games in the first place. And like trying to wriggle out of that without canceling the games is nigh impossible, to be frank. Like we have that work to do in front of us to a degree. But like it's why, you know, we're four years into a campaign that is still hard no, because like there is no version of this that doesn't do all of those things. And all of those things impact the most vulnerable communities in our city. Spike, amazing presentation, I feel like, as we're, we're learning more on a regular basis about what this entails. Uh, and so, you know, this is, yeah, like Spike was saying, this is all kind of in real time and still a lot of unanswered questions. The only thing I was going to add, and this is um, less of a new point and just an additional, you know, a data point is uh, Paris, which got the right to host, uh, you know, uh, 2024 Summer Olympics at the same time that we got 2028. Um, many of you may have heard about there were some recent controversial surveillance laws that were being considered and there was huge backlash. Those were the ones that would have made it illegal to share information about police officers. Um, our comrades in Paris uh, flagged for us that those were also tied to the Olympics and being tied to the Olympics. And that's something that we also see, Spike mentioned, the kind of clean city provision um, and typically the things that wind up being covered and additional laws that wind up being extended around the clean city provision. Um, the primary one is visible poverty, right? That, that contrasts with the clean city, but then the other one is political dissent is the big one. And we've seen in past Olympic cities too, um, such as Vancouver, uh, under that clean city provision where protest has been made illegal um, and or it's, you know, protests of the games themselves. And I think in London, was it, I might be getting <laughs> mixed up, but 
uh, like protest, political protest of any kind was outlawed in specific zones and the penalty was much harsher. We saw two from our trip to Tokyo. We found out a few months ago or maybe longer than that. My sense of time is a little bit skewed, um, but that we, we were on the cover of the Japanese equivalent of the Department of Homeland Security, their, you know, their annual report on the state of terrorism in Japan um, for going to Japan and protesting the Olympics. So we, we know that um, the Olympics and these, you know, these policing, you know, this police expansion and surveillance expansion is also specifically targeted at political activism. Yeah, I, just, oh, I saw Max just turned his video on. I'm just going to add, I just clicked on the document Jules had uh, sent to us from 2008. And A, in the first, he, he includes a graphic description of the Atlanta bombing to really, which is going to happen over and over again, um, which again, you know, it was uh, white supremacists um, bombing. It was people who had bombed abortion clinics in the end who did it. Um, and those are not the people who get surveilled. We know that. Like, the, the surveillance they're going to unleash on us isn't going to stop that. It's going to hurt populations of color in our city. But the other thing that's in here is something I want to flag from 2008. He mentions in here that Beijing just thwarted uh, a terrorist activity in the run-up to the Games. The 2008 Olympics were the beginning of the oppression of the Muslim population in China to a large degree, and a lot of it was pretense created around quote-unquote thwarted terrorist activity in the run-up to the games. Um, and we know the impact of that now on those populations. So I just want to like flag that like you just click on this document and you can see these narratives immediately jump off the page. Like they are predictable and they are repeated over and over again. This is a playbook being used on our city. Not to get LC span on you, but because LA City Councilmember disagreement around anything related to the Olympics is so unprecedented, we're going to play some of the COPSAC dissent from the aforementioned City Council meeting. You'll hear Councilmembers Nithya Raman, Mike Bonin, Kevin DeLeon, and Marquise Harris Dawson question John Wickham from the Chief Legislative Analysis Office. And you'll notice Wickham never has anything resembling a coherent answer. I really just wanted to ask a couple of questions about this. Um, and I had reached out to the city attorney beforehand to get some of these questions answered. And unfortunately they weren't able to be answered before this meeting. And I wanted to share some of those questions and concerns today with you. Essentially this MOU enters us into this, you know, uh, broader cooperative, which really organizes our decision-making around public safety at the Olympics, including this question of designating it as a national special security event. Um, in the MOU though, there are still some questions that for me remained unanswered, which I think are important to answer. For example, how many representatives will the city have on this executive committee? And how are those representatives going to be selected? Uh, will those representatives have the authority to make decisions on behalf of the city? Or will they have to afterwards seek authorization from the mayor or the council for the decisions that they're making? Does this MOU obligate the city to seek that NSSE designation? Or is that something that's the, the that committee can consider at a later time? Um, and if the city joins the MOU, and this for me, I think was the most important question, especially given that, you know, we just left 
four years under Trump um, and, and a lot of fear around um, immigrants' rights, you know, what are ways in which the city can really put into place very, very strong guardrails to make sure that our immigrant communities here are protected from interventions from ICE and CBP? I know that's something that the city has talked about a lot. I think every um, every member here has talked about it um, in various uh, uh, motions before the council in the past. I didn't get answers to those questions before this meeting today. Um, and I would love to get those answers before, you know, entering into this kind of agreement. Um, so that's, you know, that's really, the, those are the concerns that I wanted to share and the questions that I had reached out uh, beforehand to ask. So thank you so much again for the opportunity to speak on this. This council uh, and a, a very large part of the, the city enthusiastically embraced uh, hosting the Olympics. Uh, seeing it as an opportunity to showcase the, the showcase the best of Los Angeles, the diversity and the strength of the city, uh, to, um, to 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 bring to Los Angeles uh, an international spirit of cooperation uh, and and be part of something that is really an amazing event. At the same time, this council and a large part of the city has. Uh, spoken about and worked on and prioritized a lot of things like standing up for immigrant community, um, uh, standing up for, for, for civil liberties, reimagining public safety. Um, and um, there, there are ways in which those two things are in potentially stark contrast. And I think a lot of us knew that uh, when we entered into this agreement. And uh, expressed uh, hope and optimism and a lot of faith that there was going to be a way to to reconcile those things. And, and I'm beginning to wonder how we do that and when we do that, what the time will be and what the mechanism will be. And this, this seems to be a, uh, a time in which to do that. I think it's important to note that um, you know, the Olympics, even in Los Angeles, uh, while they have had some tremendous impacts, have also had some very negative consequences. I wasn't in Los Angeles in 1984, but I certainly know from everybody who was here that it is looked back on by so many people fondly as one of the great moments in Los Angeles' history. But it is also looked back on as one of the really dark and ugly chapters in Los Angeles' history, as a time that gave birth to a lot of really brutal policing that, that gave birth to, to Operation Hammer and to gave and gave birth to a lot of things that we are struggling to uh, undo now uh, and to make up for it now as we talk about reimagining public safety. So I, I, I'm really trying to figure out when we get to see if there's a way that we can uh, safeguard the things that, that we say we hold dear and I, I, I'm afraid, frankly, that we're going to go through a lot of process and we will hear that this is not the time to do that. That time will come later. And then we're going to get to some later point and it's going to be what we're going to hear is it's, it's too late to do that. We're too far along. The, the cooperative itself does not give away any city authority whatsoever to any other entity at all. It is, it is simply allowing the city to join in conversations with the state and LA-28 in planning for the Olympics. 
Um, the other concern that we had was the NSSE designation. And the information we received was that the NSSE designation, again, does not override local public safety policy in any way, shape, or form. So the, in the ways that we tested those questions, we, we were assured that this is not giving away any of the city's ability to set its own path on public safety in the future. Um, and it was not seen as a major concern in that area. Yeah, uh, th that's, I I'm skeptical about that because, all right, that, that may mean that the feds can't tell us LAPD has to enforce immigration law, but it also doesn't mean that, that we have an ability to say that as we do this, uh, we don't want other agencies that are op operating here in an event that we're sponsoring uh, to be doing uh, mass arrests of people who are undocumented uh, and, and detaining them or deporting them, right? I mean, the, the, the agreement says that um, uh, no, it, nothing in the agreement uh, changes the rules that any other agency operates under. Uh, we operate under the rules that we aren't going to enforce certain immigration uh, provisions, but some of them operate under the, the, the understanding that they will. So we're entering into this knowing that, that, that ICE and CBP are going to be doing what ICE and CBP do, right? The federal government is not a party to this cooperative agreement. Okay, but at what point do we get to weigh in and say that in, in the huge massive uh, security apparatus that's gonna get created, there are things that are important to Los Angeles that we want to, to protect? Because there, there is some conflict there, even with, even with this administration. Yeah, and, and those are conversations that are, I mean, there is no infrastructure set up right now the intent of the cooperative is to start having those conversations and start moving that forward. If, um, and so I, it, it would be part of those conversations moving forward where these issues would be raised. You would be able to have those conversations with the state and other local public safety officials so that when you get to the point of the NSSE, you will be able to have clear objectives and policies on how you expect those interactions to move forward. But that, that requires unanimous consent to, to, to do that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we get to assert our leverage as the host city to, to stand up for, for what this city holds dear and believes in. If we have th this unanimous consent thing um, that, that starts from no agreement on certain principles that are important to Los Angeles. And we say, uh, we, we want to have provisions in place to make sure that there are no mass uh, uh, detentions or deportations of people who are undocumented in Los Angeles. Anybody can, 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 can veto that, right? I guess we were looking at it from the opposite direction, that if somebody proposed mass if, you know, you know, whatever actions that the city could say, no, that's not going to move forward. Right. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on how it gets initiated. Right. Uh, because law enforcement, I think some of the other agencies are going to assume they operate the way they do. And so they're not going to ask for permission to do that for us to veto. 
Um, and, and that's sort of where my concern is. I, I guess my question is, I know we have this, this March 31 deadline, and we haven't put this, this stuff in there, which would make me much more comfortable. I'm just wondering, we're the host city. Do we not have the leverage to go back to them and say, you know what, we want more safeguards in there and we'd like a, a, a little more time? Um, because if, if, if we do have that leverage, I'd like to use it. If we don't have that leverage, then I'm sort of concerned about what leverage we will have going forward to stand up for what we, we want to stand up for. Like I said, it, it's no secret that this city is at an inflection point when it comes to public safety and researching a different type of policing alternatives and especially how we deal with our, our, our unhoused community members. We know that other host countries have faced very stark criticism for the way it has dealt locally with its uh, residents, in particular Brazil. So with the Olympics coming to town and all the subsequent public safety systems that we develop, the implications of certain decisions are going to come to head, no doubt. And they may even run into conflict with some perhaps outdated models. We know what ICE means specifically for a, a city like uh, Los Angeles. Uh, let me be very clear that 50% uh, of the city uh, is Latino. A good number of those individuals uh, are immigrants. A good number of those non-immigrant uh, Latinos and people of color have direct relationships, uh, first, second generation, but they have immigrants within their family. Uh, this is going to be the biggest venue in 2028. Uh, my question is, what is the role of customs and border protection under Homeland Security, number one, uh, within the task force of COPSEC? Uh, is ICE part of this operation? Um, if they are, then we're going to have a real big problem, especially with me. This is be a major problem if ICE is part of this operation, because ICE is uh, part of a has become highly politicized, in particular with the last administration, where it's been weaponized uh, as a law enforcement institution to rip, you know, young babies out of the arms of their mothers. So, is ICE part of this task force? And what is the specific role of Customs and Border Protection? So this is, again, a state cooperative. It's only Cal OES, LA-28, and the City of Los Angeles proposed at this moment. And other regional public safety entities would join at this moment. Federal agencies like ICE are not involved at this time. Um, they would, the federal, federal agencies would be involved when we reach the point of entering into an NSSE, National Special Security Event. So, um, John, yeah. John uh, let, let, let me ask the question that I may be perhaps looking at something that's old and outdated. I'm looking at a, a chart of the COPSA command, and it has here the venue cities local police, FBI, uh, U.S. Secret Service, FEMA, U.S. Military, National Guard, Coast Guard, uh, FAA, Department of Homeland Security, uh, private security, intel uh, agencies, venue cities, fire and ambulance, and they also have border and customs. I may be looking at some old data, uh, and that if I am, you know, please correct me. I'm just referring to this chart that's right here. Uh, and I think uh, Ms. Raman made reference to 
if we do have these certain federal agencies, you know, what is the role specifically and what guardrails will we have in place? But you're saying right now we haven't entered into any type of agreement with any federal entities uh, as of yet. No, and you have an advantage over me. I've never seen that chart. It's never been part of any of the conversations we've had. I don't know who generated the chart. Okay. So if I had a copy of it, I, I might be able to provide more comment on that. Okay. This COPSIC structure, who will be in charge? You got our chief of police, Michael Moore. Uh, you got the county sheriffs, OES, as you made reference to, you know, Office of Emergency Service that represents the state of California. Is it going to be one of those, does it have the potential to be one of those scenarios where everyone's in charge yet no one is in charge, ultimately? You know, and how is that distributed? You know, that's just something I think to sort of a footnote, not footnote, but just put up on the on the on the wall uh, for a future conversation. Um, I, you know, I would actually probably defer to the city attorney in regard to the city's ability to tell the federal government how it will run its business. I don't think that we typically have a lot to say in that area, but. Um, you know, we will have to look and see how that would work. I uh, want, wanted to, to provide some, frankly, testimony and less questions. Uh, I was an adolescent in the city of Los Angeles when the Olympics came last time. And I remember that period about being very proud that the Olympics were here. But I also remember that's when Operation Hammer started. And all of a sudden, your parents are telling you not to be outside after six, not because of gangs or because of crime, but because of the police. Uh, so the Olympics open up a door for uh, um, law enforcement agencies to pursue things that might not be supported in a regular setting. And I, I just want to register and agree with my colleagues that we need to, since we have that history, we need to be out front about that. And frankly, the last time the, the Olympics were in the United States, uh, in, in the city of Atlanta, the 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 public safety problems didn't come from people who were immigrants. And they didn't come from people in neighborhoods like South LA. Please state your name and the item you'd like to speak on. Hi, good morning. My name is uh, Hamid Khan, and I'd like to speak on item two and general comments. Sure, please go ahead. Well, thank you. So, uh, Council, uh, today you have in front of you uh, a matter that will have a profound impact on the city of Los Angeles for generations to come. Uh, this is about the, 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 not only the establishment of the California Olympic and Paralympic Public Safety Command Center, but also about the Olympics themselves uh, in 2028. We're seeing the aftermath of that 40 years later from 1984 as to how the whole policing configuration, how the infrastructural configuration was changed and what happened as a result of that. What we have seen is a massive expansion of the police state, massive expansion of the surveillance state, massive removal of people, and people have, are even arguing that the result of homelessness that we see today was that how, how the undesirables were removed, how gang databases and gang injunctions were created. So, so this is something which will have a profound impact. This is a great responsibility. And what we are calling for that is that, you know, rather than creating these command centers Thank where you, you bring speaker. in. Thank you, Speaker. It is totally unconscionable to uh, approve more policing for the Olympics, um, especially because it would be co directly in conjunction with ICE. Um, we have a lot of problems in Los Angeles, and none of them are 
that we need more policing or that we need to have the Olympics. Um, as we're thinking about how we can protect immigrants in this city and protect vulnerable people and undocumented people, um, we have to not approve more police and not approve a national special security event for the Olympics. It's a completely dangerous idea uh, that will just harm people. Now, COPSEC may offer LAPD a seat at the Olympic security table, but not you here on city council. LAPD Chief Michael Moore will sit at that table. The city is demanding you defund the police, not give them official channels to collaborate with ICE. Most of you voted to make LA a so-called sanctuary city. How can you possibly approve COPSEC when's purpose is literally to collaborate with ICE and CBP? We must reject this LAPD expansion that's gonna come with this and, and, and kick this can down the road. There's, there's absolutely no reason you need to do this now. This, this pretend hustle to get this approved seven years before the games is absurd. There's no reason you need to approve this now and there's no reason to do it at all. There's no way to do public safety properly with the Olympics. They will always, always Thank lead you. to- Thank you, Speaker. I cannot fathom how you can sit before your constituents and claim to represent anything close to democracy or quote unquote sanctuary or care period, honestly, while contemplating the approval of something like COPSEC. Approving COPSEC means bringing in national troops. It means bringing in ICE, CBP, the DOD, and granting them further legitimacy and control over residents of the city who are already scared, who are already vulnerable, who are working tirelessly to care for their families and bring you alfresco dining and very little else. Um, like we got no vote on this and there's no way anyone with a moral conscience could in like in this climate approve a quote unquote public safety command. Yeah, to reiterate what everyone else here has said today um, in regards to the Olympic policing items, um, we, we know that there are significant concerns about Olympic policing from communities around the city and, and the county and outside of the county, which this project fills outside of. We've been speaking and working with them for the past four years, every week, every month. Um, we're all volunteers. We know that there are tons of concerns across the board from sex workers, street vendors, um, immigrants, uh, unhoused folks, renters. Um, that's a majority of this city and this county. Um, and we know that these concerns are being heard in City Hall right now. We know there are significant concerns on your end. Um, and we feel like it's totally backwards to be rubber stamping something and then asking the important questions later. We need to be doing the opposite. The whole Olympic process forces us into these situations over and over and over again, where we're on an artificial deadline based on the IOC, who is nine time zones away and does not have our interests at heart. So we time to get serious. Let's vet this. Cancel COPSIC. Thank you.
militarization and collusion between local and federal law enforcement, the privatization of policing and surveillance we've seen happen in every city that hosted the Olympics. The NSSE is particularly dangerous in the U.S. There's only been one other Olympics that's had them, which is Salt Lake City. And what we've, we've continued to see uh, over, you know, the last 20 years, just how expansive and extensive the harm um, was from that. We saw the NSA use the Salt Lake City Olympics in uh, 20, 2002 as an opportunity to basically test drive what it would look like to conduct that blanket indiscriminate surveillance on an entire city. And so the idea that you all are sitting here on a casually at 8.30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and as many folks have mentioned, um, within the last year where there has just been massive international protests and backlash around exactly this type of thing is pretty dissonant and mind-blowing, honestly. And I don't think it's an accident that two folks just happen to be uh, unavailable for this conversation. Uh, you know, I think this is this is really a moment where we are paying attention, the, you know, the citizens, the residents of the city are paying attention to what you all are standing up for and doing. And I hope it's clear that you can't just casually discuss and pass this through. You're going to be held accountable for these decisions and what it means for folks in the city, particularly the folks who are the most vulnerable, who are still suffering from the impact of the, you know, militarized, massive... Oh, thank you. That's been, that's been two minutes. Thank you. <laughs> 